Um, we're in Luke chapter 7 today. You can go ahead and turn there to verse 18. Uh, and we're going to be talking about John the Baptist. Three uh, stories about John the Baptist. And we've, we've talked about him at the very beginning of Luke when he was prophesied of, of his miraculous birth uh, to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we've gotten to see his prophetic ministry in the wilderness, baptizing and calling people to repentance. And then he kind of went exit stage left. And we've just focused on Jesus, as we should. Um, but Luke is going to come back to John today. It's important today that you know that John is in prison. John the Baptist has been imprisoned by Herod um, because John called him out on his sin. Um, he's not been killed yet, but he's in prison. And John today is going to question. He's going to doubt, right? Has anybody ever had doubts about Christianity? Anybody ever had? No one's going to raise their hand. Okay. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate the honesty. I'm raising my hand. Anybody ever had doubts, questions? Like we do this. We maybe you've grown up in the church your whole life. Maybe you've just come to it recently. I don't know your story. Um, but I think if we're honest, most of us in the room have at some point or another had the thought, is this really true? Especially if you've come into contact with other worldviews, or if you've had major life tragedy, or I don't know, there's all sorts of reasons, but many of us have had doubts. And I hope you sympathize a little bit today with John, who is an immense figure in the Bible, who had seen Jesus himself, who had baptized Jesus, seen the dove come down, seen, heard the voice from heaven, and John's sitting here going to have some doubts. There's a father in the book of Luke who cries out, who has this desperate situation, and Jesus tells him, if you believe, then you can be healed, and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. How can both of those things be true? I believe, help my unbelief. And I think that's where John's at today, and I think that's probably where some of us live. God, I believe, help my unbelief. It's okay to have doubts, but I hope that you'll uh, stick with me because we have good reason to believe, okay? So let's look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 18. It says, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. That's Jesus' teaching, Jesus' miracles, most recently, raising a boy from death to life. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? 
What then did you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. They called him righteous, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Verse 31. So what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Let me pray. God, I thank you for John, and I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for um, your kindness and your graciousness towards us who are finite and who struggle and who have doubts sometimes, God. God, I pray this morning, God, that you would combat the doubts we have with the facts and the truth. God, I pray that we would not allow doubt to rule in our mind. We would not allow questions to rule in our mind, God, but that we would fight them with the facts and the truth of what really happened. God, that's why Luke was written. That's why we're reading it. God, so that we would have certainty about the things that we have been taught. And so I pray this morning, God, as we study this, as we try to understand it and we apply it to our lives, God, that you would speak, God. Use my words, use your Holy Spirit, God, to convict us and teach us this morning, God, but also to encourage us if we are doubting. So we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so there's kind of three sections, and so we'll take one, each one a little different. First is, is John and Jesus' disciples, uh, Jesus, John's disciples and Jesus interacting. And so let's look at that one first, starting in verse 18. Um, and, it, and it says that the disciples of John came and they reported all these things to John. So remember, John uh, had come. He was born miraculously, right? And he had prepared the way for the Messiah. He'd been in the wilderness calling people to repentance, baptizing them. Uh, he had baptized Jesus. He had seen the dove. He had seen the Holy Spirit. He had heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He had called out to Jesus, and this is in John's gospel, not in Luke's, but he had said, this is the, the Lamb of God, right? John has lived this amazing life. He, he knows this. And now John apparently still has following of disciples, and, and John's in prison, right? 
And uh, they're coming back and forth to him, telling him what's going on with Jesus. And I don't know if it was just so unbelievable that John is questioning this, or if it's just his circumstance. Um, but he has a question. He's really wondering, is Jesus really the Messiah, the one who is to come, the, the expected one? And so he sends these guys to Jesus, and they go and they repeat it in verse 19. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And it's interesting, right? Because this, the one who is to come, the Old Testament, if you don't know, from the very beginning, God creates humanity, right? And everything's perfect. But then what happens? We royally screwed it up. We messed it up. We chose sin, we chose self over God's way. And because of that sin, we rightfully were separated from God. But God, in Genesis 3.15, starts this plan to have one who will come and crush our enemy's head, right? He, that's the first promise of this one, this, this person who is to come. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's this anticipation of a Messiah, of a Christ, of one who is going to be Savior, who is to come. And John's going, are you the one who is to come? Now think about this. Like, he knows. He knows what his calling was. He knows what he's been proclaiming. He's called Jesus the Lamb of God. He's heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son. How is John doubting this? How is John? He's been filled with the Spirit from birth, and he comes to this moment, and he's doubting Jesus' identity. Why do you think John is doubting? I think because it's he's in prison, and he's been isolated, and he's not seen it with his own eyes, and because of his own personal tragedy and life circumstance, he's going, is this really true? And that's us, right? That's us. That though we know and we've been convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, something bad happens in our life, something unexpected happens, a curveball gets thrown, and we start going, man, maybe this isn't really true. Maybe, maybe this whole Christianity thing is not really, it's just this made-up kind of religion. It's, it's whatever, right? The enemy uses our life circumstances, the difficulty, the struggle, the tragedy, to try to draw us away from what we know to be true. Right? We doubt in the darkness what we don't in the light because we can see it clearly. But when we get in the darkness, we're not that different than John. And John's sitting in prison questioning. So he sends these guys. And they go and they ask Jesus this question. And I love how it goes because he doesn't answer their question. What does he do? Verse 21. It says, in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. You see, we get these individual stories about people being healed and miracles, and, and Luke just sums it up, and he goes, many people in that hour, right then, instead of answering their question, yeah, I'm the one who's to come, what does he do? He proves it. He lays it out for them, Right? He, he's doing these miracles. And why does God send Jesus doing miracles? To prove his identity, right? He's not trying to solve world poverty. He's not trying to solve the global blindness crisis. No, why is he doing miracles? 
to prove his identity as the one who is to come. And so then Jesus, after doing this, you can picture it. He just comes back to him and he says, go tell him. Go tell him what you just saw. Go tell him that you saw it. You just saw it happen. So he tells them that. And what do they do? They go, right? They've seen it firsthand. They've not just heard about it secondhand. They go and they tell uh, John what they have seen. And Jesus says in verse uh, 22, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Now, Jesus is not just making up this list as a resume of the things that he's done. That's, that is true. He's quoting from Isaiah, uh, specifically two pla- places. We're not going to read it. Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Isaiah 35 talks about that the Messiah uh, will come and he will give sight to the blind, give hearing to the deaf. He will make the lame walk and the mute speak. And Jesus has done each one of these things up to this point. In Isaiah 61, he says that he is coming and he is going to proclaim good news to the poor. He's going to set at liberty those who are captive. But you notice in this passage, Jesus doesn't quote that last part. He doesn't say, I'm here to set the captives free. And it may seem just kind of like a little bit of an incidental thing. Why doesn't he say that to John, who's sitting in prison as a captive? He leaves out this part of what the Messiah is coming to do, to set the captives free. Why wouldn't he say that to John, who's a captive, who needs to be set free? Right? Jesus points to all the other stuff he does, but he leaves out this part. And to be honest, I don't really know. I don't know why Jesus leaves this out. Maybe it's to signal to John that that's still to come. Maybe it's to give him some hope that maybe this will happen. I don't know. I don't know. But I think the point is, is there's more to be done. I've not accomplished everything that's going to be accomplished Now, imagine being John. Put yourself in his shoes. And you hear these disciples come back and they say, we saw the blind see. We saw the mute. We saw all these demons cast out. We saw the dead raised to life. We saw all this stuff. And Jesus said he's here to fulfill it all. But he left out the part about the captives being set free. How would you feel as John in that moment? Would you feel hopeful? Okay, maybe he's still, that's still to come. There's still hope for me that this is going to be true. I, I think for us, and I think the reason Jesus leaves it out, is because not all of our problems are going to be solved right here in this moment. In your earthly existence, the Messiah will not solve everything. Do you understand that? Not all that Jesus came to do has been accomplished. There is still a second coming. There is still heaven. There is still more left to be done, right? And salvation is good, and a relationship with God is good, but it's not complete. We still have doubts. We still have questions. We still have tragedy. We still have hopelessness. We still have despair. We live on this earth. Not all that God is going to accomplish has been accomplished in our lives. Do you hear that? 
And that's part of why he leaves this out, I think. Because we too will battle, battle, we will battle doubt, right? If you haven't yet, your day is coming. You're going to battle tragedy. If your day hasn't come yet, it will. We're going to deal with loss and pain and hurt and despair. We're going to deal with betrayal and all sorts of things. And, and, And the enemy will use that in our life to try to get us to doubt the truth of what has been accomplished. And when Jesus sends them back, what does he say? Tell them what you've seen. Tell them what you've heard. And yeah, it's not complete, but combat the doubt that John has with the truth of what really is true. That's why Luke wrote this book, right? That's what he says at the very beginning, O Theophilus, so that you would have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. You're doubting, you're questioning, you're wondering what is really true. Did Jesus really do that? Is he really the son of God? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one to come? And he writes every one of these stories to prove to Theophilus and to prove to us that Jesus really is the son of God, that he really did cast out demons, that he does have power over life and death, that he can solve all of these things. That What's he pointing us to? He has authority even over your present circumstance that may not be resolved yet, even over your present difficulty that isn't fixed, how you want it to be fixed. That's the point. We must combat doubt with the truth. We must be reminded of the truth. And Christians, what is our basis of truth? What do we believe is true? It's not our experience It's not our feelings. It's not some other entity. It's not me. It's not any pastor who stands in this pulpit. I am not the authority. And no man who stands here is. What is? God's word. And Bruce and I were having this conversation this morning. Whether we like it or not, whether we want it to be that way or not, whether we would maybe prefer it to be a different way or not, we come to this because we believe it is true and that's why i'm going to stand here and teach it not my own thoughts not my own whatever because what what we need is the truth right that's how we're going to combat doubt in our life so we must base our lives on this not anything else and jesus says verse 23 i got a little turned up right there sorry okay 23 He says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. There are many in our, in in Jesus' day, more and more as we read these stories, we get through Luke, more and more people are offended by what Jesus is doing and saying. And there's becoming this clear dividing line between those who are following Jesus and believing Jesus and those who have set themselves against Jesus. There's a clear, becoming this clear dividing line. And he says, blessed are you who are not offended by me. In our day, there are many who are offended by Jesus. And Jesus said it would be so. The truth is offensive because it calls us out where we are not true or in line with God's word. And these next two stories are about this. Those who are offended and those who believe. Those who are offended and those who believe. So let's look at it. Verse 24. 
He says, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? So Jesus begins to ask these questions to the crowd who's around about John. And he's using these questions uh, to point out the truth of who John is. And he's, he's trying to point out their own inconsistency. He's trying to point out which side of the line they're on. So he says first, verse 24, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? So Jesus is saying, you didn't go out to the wilderness because you thought there was this man who was just all over the place saying crazy things. No, John was a man in the wilderness who was not shifting. He was firm and steady, calling people to repentance, calling people to turn back to God. He was a man of conviction, proclaiming the word of God. And he was bold and he was unashamed. And he was proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ. He says, verse 25, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. He's talking about who John was as a person. He wasn't out there just like trying to get power, trying to get rich. Actually, no, he had camel's hair for clothing. He's eating honey. He's not getting rich off of this thing about proclaiming this message. He's not rich and powerful. He's not prominent and well-to-do. He's not hobnobbing with the elite and the political. No, he's a man of conviction, proclaiming a very clear message, repent, return to God, Jesus is the Messiah. He's saying none of that is true. His character matches his message. Verse 26, he says, what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Right? They, they knew they were going out to hear a prophet. Now, this is a big deal for them because since Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, since Malachi, in the year I can't flip there, it's about 400 years until Jesus comes. That's, that's almost twice as long as the United States has been a country. And they have not had a prophet. They have not had someone speaking to them from God in 400 years. And so for John to show up and begin to speak the word of God was a huge deal. All of Israel would have known about it, and most of Israel would have believed that he really was a prophet, that he, what he said was true. And what John said is verse 27. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus is saying that John was way more than a prophet, right? He's not just the average Old Testament prophet who's saying a little bit about God or giving us a little bit. No, he is preparing the way for the one, the Messiah. And he said that about himself. He is claiming to be the forerunner to the Christ, to the Messiah. He says he's way more than a prophet. He says, verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, I don't, I don't think what Jesus means is that John will not be in heaven one day. That, I don't think that's what he means. But what he means is that John stands as this, this 
this hinge point in history, this dividing line of sorts, the beginning of the dividing line with Jesus. And he's saying, John has surpassed any man who's ever been born, but he's not going to see the fulfillment of the Christ. John's very quickly after this going to have his head chopped off. He's not going to see Jesus die on the cross. He's not going to see Jesus raised from the dead. John didn't get to see the fulfillment. And so that's why each one of us, he says, are greater in the kingdom of God than John. Why? Because we know the final story. We know the end of this. That Jesus is going to die in our place. He's going to rise again to rescue us from the power of sin and death. Right? We are greater in a sense than John because we have the full, fuller picture, right? And when Jesus is saying this, what he's calling them to, he's saying, John said I was the Christ, and you believe him, but now you're rejecting me, right? You, if you really believe John, then you'll believe me. If you believe that John is a prophet, then you believe that I am the Christ, He's drawing a line in the sand saying, I'm either the Christ or I'm not. You're either with me or you're against me. There is no other way. And the people, look at verse 29. It says, when the people and the tax collectors heard this, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. They're going, you know what? That's right. We're in. We believe John. We believe he spoke from you. We believe you're the Christ. The people, the tax collectors. Think about who those people are. But who rejects him? Verse 30, the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders, and the lawyers, the people who know God's law, they rejected the purpose of God. Do you see this? Some people respond in belief, and some people respond in rejection. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand, and he's saying, you're either with me or you're against me. And what he's about to point out is your ability to reason is not very good. Look at verse 31. Verse 31, he says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to one another, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. Jesus is trying to explain the, the separation, the difference, why some people respond in belief, and why some people respond in rejection. He's trying to explain that. Now, how many of you read this and go, one, what's a dirge? Two, I don't understand. I don't get any of this, right? And I was there earlier this week. Right? He, he, you got to picture it, okay? He says it's like children in a marketplace. Marketplace was like this open area. And imagine parents and grandparents and people shopping on the outskirts. And what did they do while they shopped and got their groceries for the week? They left their kids in the middle, right? And the kids played and the kids hung out while the parents took care of stuff. And then they would come back together. This is like a park, Okay? And it, he says it's like one group is calling out to, one group of children is trying to get another group of children to play. My kids do this, and they're terrible influencers. 
Hudson won't play with me. Well, you got to ask him. You got to, but he doesn't want to, well, did you ask him? No, but he doesn't want to play, right? He says it's like children calling out. So there's this one group of children that said, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. One common game for these kids to play would be weddings. They would reenact weddings. And so this is the idea of like a happy wedding reenactment, right? It's fun. There's happy music. They're playing the flute and there's dancing and frolicking and laughter and all that sort of stuff. And then the other common thing to play, which seems so weird to me when I read this this week, was funerals. I don't know why they're reenacting funerals, but a dirge is a sad song that would be sung at a funeral. And he says this one group tried to get them to do the, the wedding play, and they, they didn't want to play. They pouted. They had this bad attitude. So then they said, we'll play a dirge. Maybe you're, because since you're so sad, maybe you'll come along with the sadness and play funeral with us. And they did not weep. No matter what they did, this other group of people had a bad attitude and did not want to be involved with it. This is what Jesus calls them. And I, we got to compare it to John and Jesus. John is a picture of the dirge, the sad John did not come in pomp and circumstance. He didn't come with laughter. He's probably a little bit emo in the wilderness. He's sad. He's by himself. He's eating honey. He's wearing camel skin, right? And he says, this one came and you called him demon-possessed. John didn't eat or drink. He's, he's just out there teaching about God. And you say he has a demon no matter what we do, no matter who God sends, you're rejecting him. Do you see this? This is what he's calling out. And Jesus is a picture of the flute, this happiness, this rejoicing. It says that Jesus came uh, eating and drinking. It doesn't mean that he was drunk. It doesn't mean that he was partying all this time. But what he means is Jesus participated in every normal life event that that everyone else did he he was happy he ate and he drank and what do they call him a glutton and a drunkard a friend of sinners a friend of tax collectors no matter who god sends they're gonna reject it they've got a bad attitude and they have they they don't want to hear it they don't want to play they're not a part of this both John and Jesus are proclaiming the message that the kingdom of God is here. We must repent and return. And their styles were different. One was happy and flute-like, eating and drinking and celebrating like Jesus. And one was dirge-like, sad and emo in the wilderness. But no matter what the style was, the message was the same. And they're rejecting the message. They're not rejecting the style. And the message is... The Christ is here, and you're either with him or you're against him. And Jesus says, verse 35, Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus is saying, just as in a person's life, you can see whether a person is wise based on how their children live, how their children uh, 
get along. He's, he's saying you will know a tree by its fruit. You can tell how someone is based on the life that they live. And you can tell based on this whether people have received and believe or they're rejecting the message. There are only two options here. And so my question as we close is what side of the line are you on? I'm not talking about what do you doubt. We'll talk about that in a second. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent by God to save us from our sins? Have you ever given your life to him? Or are you trying to straddle the fence and be a little in and a little out? No, there, there is no straddling the fence. You're either in or you're out. You either believe or you reject it. It's either true or it's false. This is a dichotomy. There's only two options. There is no middle ground where we can kind of have a little and not all of it. Jesus is drawing this line in the sand. And some believe and some reject. Man, if you've never experienced salvation, you've never put your faith in Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that today. We can talk here in a minute. We can talk after. We can talk this week. We can talk on the phone, whatever. You don't have to talk to me. I'm not the pathway to God. You can talk to somebody else around you. But I think the other point for today is to think about our doubts. Because I think many of us are like John the Baptist. And we wrestle with, mm, I, I think I believe, help my unbelief. I, th I think this is true. Man, but sometimes I wrestle with that. It's okay to have doubts. But do not allow the doubt to take over. Combat the doubt with the truth of God's word today and this week. Let me pray. God, I thank you for John's life, and I thank you for how you used him. God, and though he did not see the fulfillment of all that you would become, um, God, we have, and we know that you are the Christ, the Messiah sent to save us from our sins. And for any of us that have put our faith and our belief in you, God, we know that we will be and are in the kingdom of heaven and we will spend eternity with you, God. God, I pray this morning that no one in this room will hear this good news, that those of us who are sinners and have rebelled against God can be made part of his family through Jesus. God, I pray that no one would reject that this morning. God, I pray that in this dividing line, all of us would stand on the line of Jesus is the Christ. God, we would not reject this. God, forgive us where we fail you, God. And I pray this week those, for those in the room that doubt, that struggle with questions. And I pray that they would not take that as evidence that they do not believe, God. But I pray that they would bring those questions to you, to trusted mentors, to your word, God. And they would combat the doubt with the truth of God's word. God, may we not doubt in the darkness what we have clearly seen in the light. So we love you this morning. God, we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.